All right, Philippians chapter 4 and verses 10 through 13 is where we'll find our text this morning. We've been making our way through the book of Philippians. This is the 20th message from the book of Philippians. And uh, looking at the remaining portions, there's room for one or two or three more messages likely before uh, that we're all done. And following that series on Philippians, as we move through the fall and the rest of the calendar year, if uh, you will um, make allowance for me in my preaching to be maybe a little more reflective, a little more personal, uh, maybe a little more emotional than, than I've been uh, at times as, uh, you know, the transitional period is will be into full gear. And uh, I, I think it's important, I hope you do too, that after 20 years as your pastor here, uh, that I would share with you uh, a number of the stories that make Mississauga International Baptist Church what it is. I want to share with you uh, some of the things that God has done. You know, and there's many moments that we can rejoice in in our past. There's things to cry about. There's, uh, there are even things to laugh about. And a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Uh, but you know, there's plenty to rejoice in God's goodness. So I hope to uh, share a lot of that, weave that into the preaching of God's Word. And uh, I hope they'll be instructive for you. It'll be helpful. Um, and uh, I think it'll be therapeutic as well, for, for myself included. Alright, so our text this morning is Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. The title of our message is Learning to Live Above Life Circumstances. Or if we could put the message in one word, we would just say contentment. Contentment. Here's what Paul the Apostle wrote to the Philippian believers. He said, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Uh, shall we unite our hearts together in prayer and ask God's blessing on His word this morning? Father, we are so thankful uh, that a passage such as this is in the inspired word of God it's there to bless us. It's there to help us. It's there to strengthen us. And uh, Lord, help us as we face the many varied circumstances of life. And help us, like the Apostle Paul, to learn this great lesson of, of contentment. Help us to be instructed in the way that we should respond to uh, a variety of life situations and Lord, if there's any that do not know Christ as Savior in our midst today, that, oh Lord, today they would understand the simplicity that's in Jesus Christ, 
the simplicity and the clarity of the gospel message and that today might be the day of their everlasting salvation. And so, Lord, we will uh, thank you and praise you again for all that you'll do. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Here we are, it's 2017, and I think we'd all agree we live in a discontented society. In a very general, broad sense, that's true everywhere we look. And uh, that's why problems such as excessive debt and gambling, for instance, are so prevalent today. I read a little story this past week uh, where uh, over in Germany some time ago, I believe it was late 90s, a gentleman had won a lottery and there were 760,000 euro in that prize that he won. That's nearly a million dollars U.S. at the time. I don't know what that would be in Canadian funds. Uh, Ten million? Something like that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he, he won this lottery. And uh, after several years, uh, post-winning, he had frittered it all away. He had spent it. And so he decided that he would be better off supplementing his income as a thief rather than claiming welfare benefits from the state. Can you imagine? And uh, he turned to things like looting cars and houses. and I mean, he was just a common thief, pilfering whatever he could. And the court spokesman said that the man quit his job when he won the lottery. And after that, he was too ashamed to go to the welfare office when his money ran out. And he turned to a life of crime. He didn't want anyone to know that he had spent it all. And of course, he spent several years, may still be in prison for all I know. And uh, why did he get into that situation? Discontent. Discontent. We can be discontent with our lot in life. We can be discontent with what the things that we have. We can be discontent uh, with the circumstances many times in our lives. You know that old line about someone asks, well, how are you doing? And the response is, well, not too bad, or I'm okay under the circumstances. Well, it begs the question, what in the world are we doing under the circumstances? And too often, that's exactly the way we live, even as born-again Christians. We're living under the circumstances. And I would submit to you, dear friends, this morning, that God never desired, He never designed for us to live beneath the circumstances. His design is for us to rise above them. And He has enabled and equipped us as believers to do just that. If you like Shakespeare, there's a line in his play, King Henry VIII. And there's a couple of keepers of the king's forest, and the king comes through. And uh, they're asking him to prove his royalty and prove that he's a king. And his famous answer back to those keepers is, My crown is in my heart, not on my head. Not decked with diamonds and Indian stones, nor to be seen. My crown is called content. A crown it is that seldom kings enjoy. 
And I'm here to tell you this morning that most people seek the crown for their head rather than the crown for their heart. And they seek contentment in worldly possessions or in a particular set of circumstances or conditions that are favorable for them. And when I say most people, sadly, this includes uh, those of us in the Christian family as well. There's a lot of discontent Christians today. And the reality of it all is that true contentment can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus taught in the Gospels, Luke 12 and verse 15, where He said, Take heed and beware of covetousness. You know, covetousness and discontent are sisters. And uh, contentment, true contentment and covetousness are polar opposites. But Jesus said, beware of covetousness. Why? For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. In First Timothy chapter 6, Paul wrote that godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can uh, carry nothing out. And then he said, and having food and raiment therewith, let us be content. Now, before we get into some of our main points, uh, it's also important to say what contentment is not. Contentment is not complacency. You know, it's, it's not to go through life with this free spirit and happy-go-lucky and throw uh, all caution and concern and care to the wind. It's not a false peace that's based on a willing ignorance. The complacent believer is, is a believer uh, that we would see who is unconcerned. For others, the complacent believer is unconcerned about spiritual apathy in their own heart and life. That, my friends, is not contentment. The contented Christian desires a deeper and abiding daily relationship with Jesus Christ. And that contented Christian is one who wants to share his blessings with others. He or she desires that others would know that same level of contentment and happiness that God's given them. Contentment is not escape from the battle, but rather a deep and wonderful and often inexplicable peace and confidence in the midst of the battle. And this is what Paul is saying when he says, I've learned something here. Paul had learned contentment. And he had learned to live above the circumstances. Is that possible for us? Well, earlier in chapter 4, namely in verse number 7, Paul spoke of a peace that passes and surpasses human understanding. And what we're seeing in our text today and what we want to speak about this morning is that contentment that passes and surpasses our human circumstances. And two main thoughts. Um, You know, you're getting... uh, Getting a bargain this morning, only two points in the message, all right? Um, Two thoughts on contentment from our text. And I want to begin with this. We've already alluded to it, but we're going to hammer this nail home. And that is this. When it comes to contentment, the, the genuine form of contentment now, not a counterfeit, comes only from the Lord. Contentment is from the Lord this morning. 
You notice in verse 10 uh, how Paul begins this section. He says, but I rejoiced in who? In the Lord greatly. And then in Philippians 4 and verse 13, he said, I can do all things through whom? Through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And it tells me that everything sandwiched in between has to do with God. You see, contentment is a God thing. Now, the word content on the surface means to be entirely self-sufficient or independent of external circumstances. To be self-sufficient or contained. In fact, the word content uh, was used originally to describe a country that supplied itself and had no need of imports. The word continent, which we're all familiar with, is actually a derivative of this same word, the idea of containment. And the word uh, content is a description then of the man or woman whose resources are within them so that they do not have to depend upon substitutes externally. And for the Stoics, a particular group of philosopher, philosophy in Paul's day, contentment described the mindset of the person who became independent of all things and all people. And it was a noble or high ideal that they espoused. The Stoic line was, man should be sufficient unto himself for all things, and able by the power of his will to resist the force of circumstances. So, therefore, contentment, this kind of contentment was considered a human achievement or the attainment of a self-sufficient life. Is that what Paul is telling us that he learned? No. For Paul, contentment was a gift from God. It was part of God's provision for his life. And, my friends, I'd like to uh, say to all of us this morning... Let us rather be God-sufficient than being self-sufficient. And we need to be dependent on Him. Uh, Contentment is rooted in this eternal God. Our contentment is not rooted in our temporal selves. And so Paul is sufficient. Paul is content. Not because he's an independent, self-made man, but rather that he is absolutely, incredibly, and totally dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. What are the characteristics that we see here of Paul's God-given contentment? Contentment that is from the Lord. Contentment that is from above. I want you to notice three characteristics quickly. First of all, it's accompanied by joy. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly in verse 10. Now, if, if we read down into the verse, we understand that, that Paul is rejoicing in the generosity of the Philippian believers. Here Paul is in, a, uh, in the Roman uh, prison system, and prisoners in those days, unlike uh, is so often the case today, where you know, you'd know be in prison and everything seemed to be provided for you. Prisoners in those days were dependent upon outside support for everything they had. And so uh, you you either uh, languished and suffered without that external support, or you had what was sufficient for you uh, provided by others from the outside. 
And so Paul here had now received a gift. He had an opportunity to receive a gift from these believers at the hands of Epaphroditus. And he says, I'm rejoicing over that tangible, material, uh, if not monetary gift. And rejoicing over their care for him. But I believe Paul rejoiced on a deeper level as well because it was indicative of the Philippian believer's spiritual health. Remember how in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he, he commended the Macedonian believers among uh, the, uh, whom the Philippian believers were part of that? He commended them for their uh, sacrificial giving, but he said not, not only for their giving, but because first they gave their own salves to the Lord. And I think Paul receiving this gift, the deeper part of his rejoicing was praise God for people who will give themselves first to the Lord. And then they will allow themselves to be used of God as conduits for uh, His blessing in the lives of others, and in this case, in His own life. But I want you to also understand that Paul's joy went even deeper than that. It was not just a rejoicing in what he received, not just a rejoicing in uh, what God was doing in the hearts of the Philippian believers, but Paul rejoiced in the Lord. Isn't that the way the verse is written? I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And my friends, what I want to submit to you today is that true contentment takes greater pleasure in the giver than in the gift. You see, when, when it's just a gift and our focus is all about the gift, then it, then it becomes this scenario where we're thinking, well, what have you done for me lately? Well, what's next? You know, um, you, you, you get a milkshake one week and you expect, a, you know, a, a prime rib roast the next. We always want something bigger and better. And we're expecting more. Why? Because our focus is all about the gift. But I want to challenge us as God's people that our focus ought to be on the giver. Who's done so much for us. And that, that's where we really get our joy. That's where our contentment is deeply rooted. Contentment is accompanied by, it's associated with this joy, and it's infused with that joy. So, Paul had God-given contentment. Remember, contentment is from the Lord. Be a content person this morning? Well, you know what? You gotta get your eyes off of everything else. Off of other people, off of things, off your circumstances, and squarely upon the Lord. And then that God-given joy that Paul had and was able to rejoice in the Lord even though he's incarcerated there in Rome is something that you'll have as well. You have that joy. Not only is it accompanied by joy, but secondly, this God-given contentment acknowledges the contributions of others. Again, we uh, dig under the layers here about this uh, gift that he'd received from the Philippians. He says, now at the last, your care of me have flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. There's an interesting word there which says, your care of me hath flourished again. And it's a botanical word. It has to do with uh, flowers that blossom again, like perennials in the springtime. 
And Paul is saying, uh, I know you've been concerned about me, but you've lacked the opportunity. You maybe haven't had the <coughs> ability to express your concern for me. Because don't forget, these are people living many times in abject poverty themselves. But Paul now says, now you have the opportunity. And now your care for me hath flourished. It's blossomed again. And I'm just rejoicing like I would on the very first day of spring when the sun pokes its head between those, those dark clouds. And I know spring is here and summer's around the corner and all the good things that go with it. The Philippians had always been concerned about Paul. Now it was the wind of opportunity. And you know, God has a way of raising up people to meet our needs too, not just the Apostle Paul. Many times He uses other people in ways that we would least expect to meet our needs. And how does that happen? Can we just say, oh, well, that's random. Oh, that, that, that stuff just happens. It's coincidence. Is that what we want to chalk it up to? We say, what's that's odd. No, no, no. It's not odd. It's God. And listen, if if you have if you have a need, if you're hungry like Elijah of old, and God could could take those ravens to bring him flesh and to bring him meat and to sustain Elijah's needs down there by that brook, do you not think that God could put it in someone's heart to provide a need that you have? I mean, God's only got 7 billion people in this world. Listen, God's bigger than our circumstances. God is way bigger than our need. And if we're content people, when God chooses to meet a particular need in our life, we're going to acknowledge the source through which it comes. And we're going to acknowledge that on a higher level, it came from God first. And, and we'll be blessed. Blessed. In the process of all of that. Contentment has its source in Christ. And when it has its source in Christ, it will always gratefully acknowledge those individuals that God uses to meet our needs. None of us are self-sufficient. We are God-sufficient. You know, in 1 Corinthians 9.14, I'll make it very applicable or personal for, for myself and show you how I would apply this to my own life. 1 Corinthians 9.14, uh, the Bible says, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And I am humbled that for 32 years, my living and the sustaining of my wife and my children has come from the hands of people who love the gospel of Jesus Christ and support it faithfully with their tithes and offerings. And I I am so thankful for that. I owe a deep debt of gratitude to the people of God. But above that, to the God that puts it in their hearts. To give. God-given contentment. It's accompanied by joy. It acknowledges the contributions of others. And finally, it accomplishes or achieves every God-given task. 
Now we're going to jump over 11 and 12 because I've saved those for my second point. And let's talk about verse 13. That's a great verse, isn't it? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I think there's some popular athletes today have this inscribed on their on their uh, tennis shoes or basketball shoes or whatever, right? Am I right? Philippians 4.13. But sadly, and this is the truth also, this verse has been misused and removed from its context uh, many times and just employed as a simple inspirational snippet that says, hey, I can do it, man. I can do anything. I can do everything, especially extraordinary things. You know, quoting Philippians 4.13 does not make you Superman. Okay? It's not a mantra for success. It's not to be seen simply as an inspirational quote that, uh, you know, we can hang our, our, our hat on and drives us to do better in athletics, our financial life, our relationships, or our professional pursuits. I'm not saying that all of those things are unimportant. They're all important. But but what I'm saying is that we, we, we have to dial this back and bring it into the context. And we'll get there in, in just a moment. For instance, if an untrained and unqualified someone got behind the controls uh, of, of the cockpit of an airliner that I was flying out on, reciting Philippians 4.13, as their inspiration to fly that that jetliner. Do you know, I do not want to be on that flight. How about you? You know what? I'll, I'll take another one. I'll take a bus. I'll take a cab. Um, I'm happy that way. Uh, now, I wasn't out golfing yesterday, but if I were, and I, I, I was standing in the tee box, a particular hole, and I thought to myself, you know what? I want to shoot a birdie on this hole. And so... I spit out Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ with strength of me. You know what? That does not lower my score. Okay? I'm still going to be off in the woods on the left and off in the fescue on the right. Uh, I, I'm going to have trouble with that. And so as with every other passage of Scripture, we need to understand that context is everything. Context controls the meaning and the application of the Scripture. So when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, it's in the context of those circumstances, good and bad, the mountain peaks and valleys of his life. That Paul is saying, whatever circumstance, whatever state I'm in, I can do, I can achieve, I can accomplish whatever God has intended for me to accomplish. I can do it through and in the person of Jesus Christ. And I can be content. Let me give you another illustration. We have a train track that goes behind our place. Thankfully, they've built a nice big berm and it's not as loud as it used to be. But we have the GO trains that rumble through there. We've got the big CN trains with their big powerful engines that go through there. And, you know, like the story of the little engine that could. I think I can, I think I can, right? Could you imagine that engine if it had a personality, if it had a brain, if it had an intellect, thinking, you know, I'm pretty powerful. I can just about do anything, man. I can I can haul timber across the continent. I can, I can haul a couple of hundred boxcars behind me. 
I can do great and powerful things. If anything gets on the track, I just simply plow it out of the way like it is an unsuspecting little uh, fly or mosquito. I just plow through, uh, you know, you name it, a moose on the track, another vehicle, a truck, I'm going right through. And so that engine thinks to himself one day, you know, uh, Lake Ontario is a beautiful, beautiful body of water. It's smooth and shiny. And um, Buffalo is just the other side. Uh, I, I think we'll just skip right across the water here. I think I can do it. What's going to happen with that train? You know, the, the fact is that the train's ability to do what it was built to do is dependent on staying on the tracks. And you and I as believers are to function in the context of God's will for our life. His will is the track on which we're to run. And so if we're following the Lord Jesus Christ, if we serve Him faithfully, then we can echo Paul's confident words, can't we? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That is, I can do everything Christ requires of me. I can achieve, I can accomplish every God-given task. Where He guides, He provides. Where He leads, He feeds. Wherever He takes me, I, I can trust Him. And so I, within that context of God's will, I can truly be ready for anything. I can face every God-appointed circumstance of my life, be it good or be it bad, with the strength of Jesus Christ. And I can quote Romans 8.28, and it not just be uh, something I've memorized, but I can say, I know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who are the called according to His purpose. I can say with Paul in Romans 8.37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Like Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, we can say, I take pleasures in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And Jesus taught us that in John 15 verse 5. He said, without me, you can do nothing. He said, look, you're just a branch. I'm the vine. I'm the source of the power. I am the uh, uh, conduit by which all the nutrients of spiritual life flow into your being, by which you have any ability to serve me and to walk with me. And without me, you can do nothing. So that's the way it all works. And praise the Lord. You know, when I have sinned and I need to get things right with God, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me, and Jesus will provide the forgiveness and cleansing I need. When I am unknowing and ignorant, and I'm in the dark, and I'm indecisive about things in my life, He gives me wisdom, as He gives to every man who asks of Him. When I am fearful, Jesus gives me courage. Gives me the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. When I am weak, the Lord is my strength. And within that context, we can say that the ability of Jesus Christ knows no inability. That's a beautiful thing. So contentment comes from the Lord. I, I hope you've gotten a hold of that this morning. comes from the Lord. But now we, we move to another very practical matter. And that is this. Contentment must also be learned. It must be learned. You see that in verse 11. Paul says, For I have learned... And whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. The idea with learning here is understanding, finding out, discovering, to know. It indicates a learning that comes by experience. 
And so how did Paul learn to live above his circumstances? He learned that by the experiences of his life, by going through the difficult circumstances as well as experiencing the delightful ones. Paul wrote another great passage on contentment. And let's read that again now in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay? He's saying the godliness itself is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, certainly we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. We need to learn to distinguish, don't we? It's a, quite a discipline to uh, discern, decipher between our wants and our needs. Okay, my God shall supply all your needs, not all your greeds. And so sometimes we have, we just have to step back and let go and say, God, you know what? It's not what I want, but what you determine that I need. That is the important thing. You know, all the modern commercialism of our day, the uh, ad agencies and so forth, they know to cater not to people's needs, but to their wants. And uh, the yearning for material riches, as if that could satisfy the soul. I like what the writer in the Proverbs said, Proverbs 30, verse 7. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. You know, the writer of that proverb wished to avoid the polar opposites of poverty and riches. That's interesting, isn't it? Yet, from what we're going to read from Paul, it is in the extremities of life that Paul learned contentment. And, and so do we. And so will we. And so, with that, let, let me just leave you three thoughts before we're through. That contentment is learned in the lean times of life. Look at verse 12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am struggling both to be full and to be what? Hungry. Both to abound and to what? Suffer need. So the lean times are times of uh, abasement or uh, humbling and humiliation. It's a time of hunger. It's a time of suffering need. It's a time of doing without. And those times... Quite honestly, for every one of us. And we're no different from Paul. If Paul had to learn this, don't you think we have to learn this too? They're necessary for us to learn contentment. But not everyone learns it. You know, people do without, they suffer hardship. Unfortunately, what some people learn in the experience of hardship is they learn bitterness and resentment. Unfortunately, what some learn is jealousy. Unfortunately, some learn to complain and develop a critical spirit when they experience the difficulties of life. That's not what God intended for us. God intended for us to learn contentment in those situations. Paul tells us, I learned contentment in the school of disappointment and hard knocks. To be abased is to be brought low or humbled. And you know, it's interesting here within the context of this wonderful book of Philippians that there is an associated reference to Jesus Christ in Paul's humiliation or humbling or abasement here. Because if you go back to the powerful statement in chapter 2 and verse 8, uh, look what our, uh, Paul wrote about the Lord Jesus Christ. Says he was found in fashion as a man, and he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. 
even the death of the cross. And so Paul is saying we don't need to steer clear of adversity. Sometimes we need to embrace it as part of God's will for our lives. In Philippians 3 and verse 10, for instance, Paul also said that I may know him, that's Jesus Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and the what? The fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And certainly in his earthly life, Paul had been repeatedly beaten down, hadn't he? We know a lot about that, sometimes to within an inch of his life. And so when what Paul is saying in the book of Philippians is not just idle chatter. Paul lived it. Listen to these uh, few passages. I know we're running a little short on time, and so I may have to just shorten the passages that I read, but I want you to listen to these amazing accounts that Paul shares of his lean times in ministry. All right, are you ready? Strap your seatbelt on. Listen well. Okay? Because if you're suffering with discontent today, I'll guarantee you, no one is going to go out of here and say, well, you know what? I've suffered more than Paul has. Okay? I've gone through more than that guy, so I have an excuse to be discontent in life. Wait a minute. Hang on and listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. How about Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8? We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. And 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 Of the Jews, five times, Paul says, received I forty stripes, save one. Forty was deemed enough stripes to do a man in, to kill him. Paul said five times, I would right up to the point of being killed. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils by my own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness. In watchings often. In hunger and thirst. In fastings often. In cold and nakedness. Wow, Paul, Paul stop already. You're content, man. Paul says, let me tell you something. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I've learned it. He goes on in the later, in verse number 12, he talks about how I'm both instructed to be hungry and to be full. And so... You know, I have learned is past tense. I am instructed is present tense. And I think what Paul is saying, yeah, I've learned a lot about contentment, but guess what, boys and girls? I'm still learning. 
I'm still working on that. God's working on me. This this whole thing of contentment. And so, uh, we we need to learn it through the difficult, lean times. But contentment is also learned in the luxurious times. In other words, it's in the times of abundance. Philippians 4, uh, uh, verse, verse 12 again says, I know both how to abase and hallelujah to abound. Everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full. Amen. We don't like being full. Both to abound and to suffer need. Now, Paul is believed came from a wealthy family from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Uh, he was endowed with a uh, an education that really only people of substance could acquire. He he has, was trained at the feet of Gamaliel. And so, but we know a whole lot more about Paul's lean times than we do his luxuriant ones. But yet Paul says it's, it, it, it's in both cases that I'm learning to be content. And so that's a wonderful thing, is it not? If you could be content... Uh, whether you're suffering hunger or sitting down to an incredible Mediterranean buffet. When we traveled to, to Israel last year, you know, there were those on that trip. I mean, we had buffets for breakfast. We had buffets for dinner, and you could eat lunch in between. And I had people on that trip who were sharing with me, you know, Brian, I've gained about 13 pounds. I won't tell you who it is, but um, 13 pounds. You know, that's some good eating. And... and uh, it, but the, but the reality is it could be more of an accomplishment to be content with the plenty in, in certain ways. Because contentment is not found in having everything, but in, in being satisfied with everything that we have. Uh, and, and prosperity itself. You know, there's those that preach a prosperity gospel today. You know, prosperity in and of itself has done a lot of damage to believers. More so than adversity. In fact, the danger of such is outlined in Jesus' letter to the Laodicean church. Revelation 3.17. He said, Thou sayest, I am rich. And increase of goods. And have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So it begs the question, how, how do we learn contentment in the times of plenty? Let me give you three real quick thoughts. Only time to just share these with the not with with you, not expand on them. The w- the way that we can learn contentment in the times of plenty is by number one, understanding that riches do not satisfy. You know, Solomon experienced that. Boy, it's vanity. It's empty. Number two, by understanding that riches do not last. And number three by understanding that while riches fill the belly, they cannot fill the soul. There's some great thoughts to consider. If you didn't didn't get all those down, you can come see me later. I'll, I'll pass them on to you. So contentment is learned in the lean times. Contentment is learned in the luxuriant times. But mostly contentment is also learned over the long times. Again, I go back to those two statements in our text. I have learned... And I am instructed. I have learned in verse 11. I am instructed in verse number 12. So it may not be any one particular or individual lean time or abundant time that really teaches us contentment. Rather, it comes to us over the long haul through the ebb and flow of life. 
both the good and the bad, the difficult and delightful, woven together over the course maybe of many years that helps us to learn contentment. I read of a man whose favorite passage in the Bible, whose favorite verse in the Bible, was any verse that began with these simple words, and it came to pass. And when asked about that, well, he said, that's, that's a frequent verse. Why is that such a favorite verse of yours? Well, he says, I love that part about things coming to pass. Because whenever I'm going through a trial, I just think it came to pass. And you know, that's true, isn't it? Everything in life comes to pass. Are you suffering today? It will pass. Are you enjoying plenty? That too will pass. And through the highs and lows, over the long course of many uh, years of, of being on mountain peaks and, and meandering through the valleys of life, we are learning the value of contentment. And what we come to realize over that journey is that God is watching over us. He's in control of our lives. He's guiding our, our lives, and he's teaching us contentment. And it's an oft-repeated principle in the Word of God. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 10, verse 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. So some wide and wild swings of fortune and misfortune may await us. We'll expand, maybe experience some abounding prosperity. But we're also going to know devastating hardship, sorrow, suffering. But because Christ is the center of our life, we are learning contentment and we can be content. The abundance, the loss will all pass, but Jesus never fails, never changes. To wrap everything up, just a few simple statements. Contentment does not arrive in our life by chance. It's not inherited. You can't purchase it. It's not even a product of discipline. It's learned. It's learned in the school of Christ with the difficult as well as the delightful times. To be content with one's circumstances could be considered a thing to be desired. And to be content with oneself, on the other hand, is a thing to be dreaded. We're not content with ourselves. But we're content with where God has us. Our contentment needs to be in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Let's pray.